prayers. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Stick it right over there. Yeah, I'll help. Hey, at this time, children, you are dismissed at Children's Church. That's for all of our kids through third grade. You can head out through the double doors in the back, and there will be th- some folks there to greet you. You guys have been sitting for a little bit, so why don't you guys all stand uh, take 10 seconds. We haven't done this in a long time. Just wave since we're supposed to be social distancing. Just wave at somebody in particular. Act like you're really popular. Like you can just point like, like you're just somebody who's really cool. Like you just point at somebody and knowingly look at them. Um, very good. And uh, while you're standing, uh, go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, this morning. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to have all of you stand. You need to move. You got to stretch your legs. You've been sitting for a while. Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 through 23 is we're going to be. We are coming back. We looked all the fall at Ephesians chapter 1. Through, we got through 14 verses in three and a half months. Um, and uh, now we're going to take um, some time now to look at this next section, 15 through 23. And uh, so this, fortunately, this section, uh, we have some words here that are going to help us, give us a review of where we've been, and then point us forward to where we're going here at Ephesians chapter 1. 15 through 23, this is a prayer by Paul, or he's saying what he prays for the Ephesians church. Hear God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. This is the reading of God's holy and errant and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God stand forever. You, though, you can be seated. Man, Mike and Wendy, thanks for sharing. Um, I love that Mike has been a coach. I think if you want to uh, be, have opportunities to be hospitable, become a coach. Um, some of the most influential people in my life have been a coach. And frankly, there's days in which I think about just quitting and going to coach basketball. Uh, I think I would. I think I would really enjoy it. I don't think I can make. I don't think I can support kids because I'm not that good of a coach. Um, and so you guys are stuck with me still as a pastor. I'm sorry. Um, it's it's tough. But um, we are uh, looking at Ephesians chapter one again. And I want to ask this question. Paul is giving for us here um, after giving this great eulogy in verses three through fourteen. He now tells us what he prays for the Ephesian church. He doesn't, it's kind of a both a sort of both praying and also telling us what he is praying for him. And the question that I want to ask in order to lead us into where I want us to go this morning, which is really just a, fo- a focus at verses 15 and 16 only, but what leads Paul to pray? What leads Paul to What makes Paul want to pray? Um, a couple weeks ago, I spoke for a leaders team meeting at CO, and on paper, they, they always give me these really... Um, these really easily well-defined descriptions as to what to speak about. Like this past time, it was studying God's word. Just cover all that. Just cover all of 
Like one time they gave me sanctification. It was like, oh, sanctification, we'll talk about that. So you mean everything after conversion, I'll cover it in 20 minutes. Good. But, so, but Tyler Clark then followed that up with a very helpful description, though. He said, I don't, I don't want you to simply, I don't want you to give them, the, I don't want you to train them how to do the nuts and bolts of studying God's word. That's not what this is for. He said, I want you to communicate to them in such a way that they want to study God's word. Not simply like, here's how. I want you to engage with them in such a way that they would want to. And that's somewhat similar to what I would ask today. What would make an apostle like Paul or a pastor or simply put any Christian want to pray for other people? What would incite that longing in their heart? What would make you want to pray for other people? And not only that, what would, you want to, what would make you want to pray for specific people in this church? Pray for the people on your row. What would make you want to pray for your children, that the heartbeat and the main work of your parenting is done from your knees? What would incite that longing in you? Well, the transition here from verses 14 into verses 15 helps us, and actually Paul tells us why he's praying. He says it. For this reason, for this reason I pray, for this reason. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Paul's going to give two reasons as to why he prays in particular. One is going to be pointing back, and then he's going to give another one. He's going to say, for this reason, oh, and also this reason. For, for this reason, because, is literally what it says in the text, which is a kind of a strange way of saying something. For this reason, because. Well, the first thing I want to look at is simply for this reason. Why does Paul pray for this reason? And what does he do when he what, is he, what is for this reason, what is that pointing to? Well, it's pointing back to where we have been. We spent three and a half months looking at verses 3 through 14. And what 3 through 14 are in Ephesians chapter 1 are simply a cataloging of all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3. He says, these are the spiritual blessings, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then the rest of the section is this kind of worship. It's one run-on sentence by Paul where he enumerates all these blessings that we have in Jesus. And let me just walk through some of those. In verse 4, he says, here's blessing 1. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Then he moves on and says, not only has he chose you, but he's chosen you for a particular purpose. He's chosen you so that you might be holy and blameless. He's chosen you not just to be holy and blameless, but to also be adopted sons of God. And we see that in the blessings of Christ, is, one of the blessings is redemption. He redeems your life from the pit, from the story. He provides forgiveness for your sin. That's a blessing from Jesus. One blood-bought blessing from Jesus. He blesses you with an inheritance. That you have heaven and all the earth is yours because you're sons of God. And then not only does he bless us with an inheritance... He then seals us with the Holy Spirit. That's like the sealing of a legal document that if you're given the Holy Spirit, it guarantees that we indeed are not only are we redeemed and forgiven and declared sons and daughters of God, but also in that sealing of the Holy Spirit also guarantees that you get everything that Jesus gets. You get all, the, you get all of heaven and you get all the earth. This is the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. That's the for this reason. In other words, Paul is pointing back and he's saying this, unless we have a God who has not only chosen us, but also we have a God who in his choosing and in his predestining work includes your prayers as a part of his redeeming work in this world, then what's the point of praying? But he's like, 
because God does use our prayers and because God has chosen us, now for this reason I'll pray. Unless we have a God who has specific longings for us, and what's his longing? The blessings of Christ, that you would be holy and blameless. Then how do we know how to pray or to what to pray for? And yet we do know what to pray for. We should pray that we would be holy and blameless. Unless we have a God who is willing to sacrifice his son to redeem us, then what's the point of going to God asking for things? You deserve nothing but his wrath. But if you have been declared forgiven and redeemed and sons, then he welcomes you to hear your prayers and your requests. Unless we have a God who has a treasure chest of provision and blessing, then what is the point of asking for daily bread and asking for God's provision for somebody who has lost a job? But we do. We can ask for those things because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he says, if he'll bless us with these things, how much more will he give you your daily bread? Unless we have the Spirit who guarantees us of all of these aforementioned blessings, how, how then can we pray with any confidence at all? What's the point of praying to a God that you're not sure is actually listening to you? But Jesus is a guarantee. His blessings are a guarantee that God the Father listens to us. And because we have all these blessings, we are guaranteed those blessings. And he really does love us and have a specific purpose for us. And so now we get to talk to him about those purposes and ask him to bring about. You said, you blessed us. You called us to be holy and blameless. And so God, now would you make us holy and blameless? Our prayers follow along what God has accomplished and what God has promised that he has given, us, given to us. And because of all these things, because we are chosen, we are set aside to be holy, and we are adopted and redeemed, and we are forgiven, and we're heirs, and we're sealed, all these things are for God's glory. Therefore, Paul now prays, God, you, you've given us these blessings so that you might be glorified. So now, God, may you be glorified in their life. Paul also prays because of the unity he has with them. Think of the connection Paul has with the Ephesian church. He said, listen, these are people who have been blessed with X, Y, and Z from Jesus Christ. And I have been blessed with that same thing. In other words, he's saying that we have a connection. I'm praying for them because I long for them because we have a unity around Jesus Christ and what he has won for us and given to us. There are people in your life that you feel a connection to, a unity with. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we are united in the blood of Jesus. And so we should, that should incite us to want to pray for one another. My children and I are bonded by, by being in the same family, by having the same DNA. Right? And so I pray for my children far more often because of the unique blessings that we have and connection that we have for one another. But here's the point I want you to see in regards to Paul pointing back to verses 3 through 14. In verses 3 through 14, we dealt with stuff like God's foreordaining and predestining work. That's like the deep end of the pool when it comes to doctrine. He talks about like being holy and blameless. He talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. These are significant theological things. That's why we spent three and a half months on it. But all of those itty-nitty-gritty theological blessings that he talks about that are ours in Christ Jesus, what Paul shows here is that if you rightly not just understand those things intellectually, but if you've embraced all those theological things that Jesus says he has won for us, these beautiful truths, it doesn't make you cold as a Christian. It makes you hot with, hot with prayer as a Christian. That we often will divide those who understand and like theology as being those who are stuffy and cold. In reality, what we see in Paul is one who loves the truth, loves studying God's word, loves knowing the truth of what Jesus has done for him. And that leads him to being somebody who is red hot 
with his prayer life. And so if you're finding that you're somebody who is not incited to pray for other people, that you care very little about praying for the world and praying for specific people, oddly enough, the call or the, 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 the example of Paul is get to know the gospel better. Get to know what Jesus has done for you better. Get to understand, study the blessings of God in your life better. And what you may find flowing out of your heart is a longing now to see those blessings come to bear in the life of other people. One of my greatest longings as, as, as I've grown as a pastor is, and, and as I've gotten older, and particularly as we adopted our own child, is I have come to understand more and more deeply this idea that God has calls himself father and that we are called his sons. And so you know what I long for? The more I have understand, understood the theology of adoption, the more I have longed for that for you. That you who often will live and function like orphans in this world, and yet, if we would embrace this truth and experience this aspect of our, our life, that we are sons and daughters of God, that this would set you free to live a life to the glory of God. I mentioned this in our last series on the heart of Jesus, the book by a man named Paul Miller. It's, and it's been the best prayer book I've ever read, not because it taught me how to pray, but because it made me want to pray. And there's a book called The Praying Life. And the book, the whole approach is pressing in, in that book, uh, the idea of sonship our sonship, that God welcomes us. It takes the first line. The first line of the Lord's Prayer is what? Our Father, our Father. That God longs for us to come to him as his children. And that makes us want to pray. So the more you understand the blessings of Jesus' choosing work, the blessings of his, his forgiving and redeeming work, his calling you and making you a son, his inheritance for you, the more it will excite you to overflow with prayer for yourself and for others. But I also want you to see this, that where, where this, Paul, this leads Paul to pray. I want you to see that this teaching in verses 3 through 14, this, the, the things he points back to, the for this reason, enumerated in verses 3 and 14, leads Paul to pray in a particular direction. Ephesians 1, in fact, is divided into two sections. Verses 3 through 14 tells us all about our blessings in Christ, what we have. And then verses 15 through 23 is Paul now praying that we would now, he prays that we would grasp those blessings and see them come to fruition in our life. In other words, he's saying, here's the truth. Now I'm going to pray that you would know the truth and live the truth. You see how that flows, the logic of the passage. And so what we see in 17 through 23 in this prayer, in these verses, and what we're going to look at in the weeks to come is that he, his, his understanding of these truths is going to flow out into his prayer life. And so we see verses 3 through 14, blessing after blessing after blessing. And if these things are grasped, then our lives will give glory to God. And now Paul is asking the question, how, how will they give glory to God? How will they give glory to God? By engaging and embracing these blessings. And so what does he pray in verse 17? So it's, it's what we're going to have Whittle and Weber preach on in the coming weeks. Is praying on these, this section. Here's what it says in verse 17. That we would know, we would know something. Verse 17, that the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that he would reveal something to you in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know, that you may know. So he says, here's the truth to know, and now he prays that the spirit of God would help you know. These are the things that would change your life if you know these truths, and now he prays, spirit of God, I can't make them know these things. 
This is why parenting has to be done on your knees, right? It's why pastoring has to be done on our knees. It's why engaging with your neighbor has to be done on your knees because you could speak about the truth to your blue in the face, but unless the Spirit of God is doing something to press in those truths, nothing will happen. And so Paul says, I don't just teach you the truth. I pray for the Spirit of God to press the truth into your life so that your eyes are opened to see the truth. And what is it he wants them to know about God? This is just going to give you an outline as to where we're going in the coming weeks. He prays four things that they would know. Open their eyes to know the hope of our calling. The hope of our calling. Second, the glory of our inheritance. These are, remember, he's called us, he's chosen us, he's predestined us, and so he's called us. He's reiterating the very things he's taught about in verses 3 through 14. The hope of our calling, the glory of his inheritance, the greatness of his power towards us. That's his crescendo. That's where he's going. The resurrection power, and then lastly, the authority of Jesus over all things. He's saying, I want them to know these things. So he teaches you the truth, and he prays that you might know the truth. And so let me ask you, what would lead you to pray? What incites prayer? Why should we pray? What I want you to see in all these truths that we just enumerated went back through in verses 3 through 14, all of those blessings, ultimately what they're pointing to is not simply the blessings themselves, not simply the gifts, but the giver. In other words, what would incite you to pray? For asking the question we began with, what makes you want to pray? It's knowing the character and the work of your God who would bless you like this. Who would bless you like the ways in which Paul has listed out in verses 3 through 14. Ed Clowney, who is a um, great professor that I enjoy reading and listening to, preach, said this. So the Bible does not present an art of prayer. Instead, it presents the God of prayer. You want to pray more? Know God's blessings, because in knowing God's blessings, you know the heart of your God. The heart of your God who longs for you to come speak to him, who longs to answer your prayers. And so Clowney goes on, we should not decide how to pray based on our experiences and feelings about what we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is, and prayer will follow. The more clearly we grasp who God is, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. Do you have a big God or do you have a small God? Your prayer life may say something about what you believe. Do you have a big God or a small God? Do you believe that your God is a God rich who longs to bestow blessings upon you? Or do you think you have a stingy God who's holding out on you? Your prayer life may reflect what you believe about that. There's a story about Alexander the Great. And one of his more prominent generals, he had a daughter who was getting married. And back then, you, I mean, not just, not just now. This is not just a common thing that weddings were rather expensive. They were even more expensive then because you would have to feed everybody who came, not just for a few days, but for like sometimes weeks and months at a time. And so this general is like, you know, he's stressing out. Where am I going to get the money? And Alexander the Great loves this general, and so he actually offers to help pay for a portion of the wedding. And so he says, how much, would you, how much do you need to help with the wedding? And the general comes back with an unbelievably, almost like an unbelievable sum, just an enormous amount, so much so that when the, the treasurer for Alexander the Great gets word as to what this general is asking for, he's afraid to tell Alexander the Great because he thinks Alexander the Great will be so angry with this general that he'll have his head cut off for the impertinence of asking for this much money. And instead, when he tells him about how much the general asked for, Alexander said, great, give it to him. And the treasurer's confused. He's like, don't you think this is impertinent? And he says, no, 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 no. You see, his request shows not only that he believes that I'm rich, but also that he understands that my character is generous. What do you believe about God? 
Some of us ask for small things because we don't trust or even know the power of the one to whom we ask. We think he is few in blessings when he is great in blessings. We get to pray to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. We pray to the one who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How much more can we ask for anything else? John Newton in one of his old hymns said this, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee you should bring. For his grace and power are such, you can never ask too much. You can never ask too much. What would incite you to prayer? To know the God who gives blessings and who gives gifts. To know his character. So Paul prays. He says, for this reason, pointing back to all the blessings of God that reflect on the character of God, this makes you got to go, yes. If he would give me all these things, I'll pray for anything. I'll pray for parking spaces. And I'll pray for the ambulance flowing past me. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll pray for my kids who won't eat Man, I had a prayer card when I first started to understand this and learn this, how God loves and cares for me so much. I had a prayer card for a particular toddler of mine who was constipated all the time. And on that prayer card, it literally said, poop. That's all I prayed for. Because I believe that I have a God who not only loves to give me redemption, but he also, he also, well, he redeems my days. He redeems my days. So pray for this reason. But then he also said this. For this, for this reason... Period, or comma, because. For this reason, because. It's another way of saying, for this reason, the Greek word is, is actually this word that would mean not just because, it's how they translate it, but it's, and this too. For this reason, pointing back, and also this reason, I'm, I pray. Pray for this and also for this. In other words, he's pointing back to verses 3 through 14, saying, for this reason, that's the general broad reason as to why one would pray. And then he's also saying, but I also am praying for this reason, and it's a very specific reason. Let me give you illustrations of this where we, we kind of point out we're going to give giving reasons to why we're doing something or telling somebody they should do something. Like, hey, my child goes, why should I go brush my teeth? And my answer is, generally speaking, so your teeth don't rot out, but also your breath stinks in this moment. That's the specific reason, so go brush your teeth. Or why do you have to go to school? So that you're not a drain on society. Also, your mom wants to get a massage today, right? That's the general reason, and it's a specific reason, right? General, why do I have to pay my library fine at, the, fine at the university? Because it's good to keep your commitments. That's a general reason. Also, they won't let you graduate if you don't pay your library fine at the university. And wouldn't you like to walk? So I, pay for, I pray for this reason, and I also pray for this reason. And that second reason is, what's he say? Oh, and also for this reason, I pray with unceasing thanks because of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. For your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. He says, not only have I seen, I pray because of the blessings of God and the truths that he has won for us, but I also pray because of what I see in your life. I see faith and I see love in your life. Now understand very, very briefly, this is, faith and love are the broadest general description of the evidence that you've experienced the blessing of God in your life, that you've experienced his saving work. The evidence is faith and love, and these, these two things always go together, right? The greatest of these are faith, hope, and love. Faith and love always go together, and I can, I'm not going to list them out, but there's, a, there's literally 15 to 20 places in Paul's writings where in the same verse it talks about faith and love are paired together. They are a package deal, and why do they come together so often? Because neither can exist without the other. Faith always leads to loving a loving life, Right? 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. In other words, how have you experienced, how do you, we know you've experienced the blessings of God? Because you start to love other people. 
For James 2, verse 26 says this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, faith without the display of love is a dead faith. It is a false claim that you have faith. Faith and love relate to each other in this way. Faith produces love, and love confirms the existence of faith. Faith produces love, and love confirms the existence of true saving faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that's, that's old language for Jew or non-Jew, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith produces love, and love confirms the presence of faith. And so, where do faith and love come from? Are they things that we get to conjure up ourselves? You know, it's interesting here. Paul, who does Paul thank? Does he thank the Ephesians for their faith and love? No. He says, thank, I am thankful to God for your faith and love. In other words, Paul is saying, he understands that grace, that faith, that love are the product of God's work in our life not a product conjured up within us ourselves. Why does he pray this? Because he knows that these things come straight from God. It cannot come from us. For example, in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says there, by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith you're saved. But then it says this, but this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Why does he thank God? Because your faith and your love are gifts from God. Love and faith are a pair that comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul even sees this in his own testimony. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me. How? Grace, gift, God's grace overflowed in faith and love. So he thanks God for the the presence of faith and love in the Ephesians' life because God is the one who put that evidence there. God is the one who watered the flowers of faith and love in the life of the believer. And so I would ask again, we are going to bring this back to our main question. What incites Paul to pray? What incites Paul to pray? Yes, the character of God and the story of God and the blessings of God. Yes, he prays. That incites him to want to pray for the Ephesians. And now specifically he says, I want to thank God for you, and I want to pray for you because I've seen the evidence of those blessings played out in your life. I thank God that he's accomplished all that's necessary for your salvation, and I see his salvation at work in you specifically in these particular ways. And are you prayerless? Are you prayerless? Perhaps it's because you have forgotten the blessings of God that we thought we, taught, we learned about just a few minutes ago. And we reviewed. Paul, or the psalmist says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. That's verses 3 through 14. That's how you incite a prayer life. But I'd also say this, are you thankless in prayer? Is your prayer life boring? Are you finding that your prayer, your prayer life is red hot and gratitude and joy to the Lord? Or do you find yourself being kind of just whiny coming to prayer? Are you thankful? Because Paul here is thankful for the evidence he sees being played out because he believes not only has God accomplished something in the past, but he believes that God is doing something today. That's important. That God is still working. So I ask you, what characterizes your prayer life? Are you full of praise and prayer? Is it filled with thanksgiving? 
You know, it has become, it is, maybe it's always been the case, it probably has always been the case, but it has become cool, particularly with the advent of social media, and in fact, cool and popular. In fact, some people make their whole platform around criticizing the church and criticizing individual believers. Christian trolls, they're there. They're in our churches, and they show themselves on social media, and they also, they also show themselves in email form, and they show themselves in backroom gossip. Those who are trolls, who are just simply always looking for reasons to criticize the church and criticize God's people. But are, are you looking for ways to thank God for the church? Are you listening for the stories of God's faithfulness and blessing being made evident in the church? Paul says, I have heard. That means someone gossiped the good news. Someone came and told Paul, you got you to hear this. It's so good. It's so good. Are you full of somebody who would gossip the good news about other people in our church? Would you look for reasons? There's, a, there's an adage in parenting, which is this, catch your kids doing something good. Because the bent so often as parents is what? To catch them doing something bad. And your children desperately need to hear your encouraging word. And you, sometimes, sometimes you might, it might have to look really hard. But you must catch them doing something good. And so I'd say the same thing for the church. Can you catch the church doing something good? Catch, look out for displays of love. Paul says, I've, I've seen the evidence of Jesus' work in you, your faith in love. Thankfulness isn't a matter of forcing yourself simply to see the happy side of life. We are not doing this out of some pie in the sky where we kind of cover our eyes and we don't see what's messed up about the church. No, no, no. No, no. We are not going around not, not, not dealing with sin. No, we are doing that too. We are not being ignorant and naive about the sinfulness that still resides in our midst and in our churches. No, but we give thanks because we have a God of blessing who continues to give blessings today. We have a God who, in the promises of the gospel, we believe, hasn't simply blessed us 2,000 years ago in the work of Jesus, but that he continues to make those blessings evident in the life of believers yesterday and today, and he will do so again tomorrow. In other words, what I would say is this. If you want to incite an eye for prayerfulness and for thanksgiving, develop an eye for seeing Jesus. Develop an eye for seeing Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, you know how Acts begins? It's written by Luke. The Apostle Luke wrote the, the Gospel Luke where he tells about all about Jesus' earthly life. And then Acts is all about life after Jesus has left. And how does he begin the book of Acts? He says, he's writing to a particular guy named Theophilus. And he says, dear Theophilus, in my previous book, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. With the assumption now, this next book is about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. The gospel is so good, but the gospel blessings are being made evident today. And one of the things that we're always having to tell people to do is go back to the truths of gospel. Yes and amen, we should do that. But understand that part of the gospel promises is that he has given his spirit to continue to work today. In my family, growing up at the dinner table, we would have this practice occasionally of you know, because instead of fighting, this is a better practice to do, and yelling at each other at the table. And so my parents had a, maybe out of sheer desperation to go, they created something called God hunt sightings. How did you see God moving and working today in your life? In a li and then there would be particular days where we'd be like, how did you see God mo moving and working in this particular child, in this particular brother or sister? 
And when I, might I say this, is with a little, little conscious reflection, a little bit of moving out of our selfishness and our self-centered and our cynical criticism, we might actually be able to see the beauty of Jesus in God's church. That if you're looking for, for reasons to encourage God, are you looking for him? Are you developing an eye when you look at God's people for what he is doing? And might I say this, where does God say is his hands and feet? What are we called? The church is called his body, the manifestation of his continued work in this world. The church, God's people, the canvas in which God continues to show off his work of blessing is found of all places right here. The blessing of God's people. And there is a unique encouragement and a joy to see the gospel, not just as something that happened 2,000 years ago, but as something that is being lived out and is being made evident and known in the people in this room, in the people in this church, in the people of this community. Paul is able to find good in some of the most seemingly despondent church situations. You know the book 1 Corinthians? You know what it's about? Paul is writing to a church in which one man is sleeping with his father's um, new wife. That's not good. That shouldn't be happening in the church. Uh, also, they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. That's not good either. What else happens? Oh, oh yeah, there's incest. Oh, there's, the Christians are taking each other to courts. And yet here's how Paul begins 1 Corinthians. I give thanks to God for you always. <laughs> if Paul can find something thank, to give thanks about in the church in Corinth, then surely, surely we can find something to give thanks to God for in this church. You see, the beautiful truth is this, is that Jesus has died for these people, and he has declared us all righteous. We are the bride of Christ who have been cleansed, and therefore, you know what we get to have with each other? We get to have as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love is not cynical about God's people. God looks for the best, or God's people look for the best. God, you see, in the church, what we see in Paul and what we should have is we should have rose-colored glasses. Rose-colored glasses that are tinted with the blood of Jesus. That we see each other through the love of Jesus and how, what he has done to purchase this bride. And so would you, would you be incited to prayer by seeing God's work in his church? Here's what we're going to do right now. There's, aren't you happy? I went, like, a lot shorter. And, um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to pray for a few minutes. And I'm going to do something. This is the most un-Presbyterian thing ever. There's a couple of things that Presbyterians love. One of our favorite passages that we love to take out of context is a passage that said, the worship of the church should be done in good order. <laughs> and usually what this means is the pastor does everything. It's how we've applied this. But I'm going to do this risky thing. I'm going to open up the mic on a Sunday morning. There's one here. And there's one here. I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to let you guys consider what are the evidences of faith and love you've seen from individuals in this church. And we're going to practice this. We're going to do it together for about 10 minutes. And simply just say, God, I see faith in this person. And here, it doesn't have to be long. Name, here's the evidence. Here's the love. Here's the faithfulness I've seen. I'm going to give you guys simply, if there's someone already praying, simply sit and, t and get in line. And I do hope there will be a line. So let me be quiet, and then I'm going to start. I'm going to start. 
because I got a long list. I got a long list of things to say thank you to God for. Gracious God, we thank you that your work is, is not just old, it is new and it is fresh. And we see your new mercies every morning being played out in your kids, in your children. God, I, I thank you for Jeff Fluvog and Reggie Jarrow who took an older gentleman in our church. Actually, this, this older man left our church in anger. And yet, Lord, they went and pursued him and are taking him to his doctor's appointments. Thank you for their evidences of love. God, I thank you for Chuck Davis, who gets up early and goes and does rounds at the hospital, who is a blessing to our community, who works long hours to give care and attention, who uses a highly skilled and highly equipped and takes that highly skilled and highly equipped cup of cold water in Jesus' name into hospital rooms to care for our community. God, I thank you for Tim Good, who serves the hidden in the hidden ways in our community, who bathes an invalid week in and week out. I have more. I'll give some of you a chance. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Larry Collins, for how he demonstrates his love for you, and it manifests itself by his seeing needs within the physical part of our church, and he helps to correct it. He helps keep our church going. And not only that, but he has a heart for those around him, and as needs arise, he serves others with such grace and encouragement. And he does all of this in secret. Lord, I lift up our sister to you, Lisa Sorensen. She has such a gift of kindness and grace and her hospitality. She opens up her home to people. She makes everyone feel welcome encircles people with her gentle spirit. And Father, this year has been a hard year for all of us, layers upon layers of stress, fear of disease, anxiety, and it's really hit her home hard. So we lift her up, Father. We ask that you, Jesus, minister to her who presents to us every day and every week the hands and feet of yourself. Would you minister to her and her family in ways that we can't even comprehend? We thank you for her gift of service to this body and to you, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for Lauren and Curtis Gann who made Valentine's bags for the kids in Children's Church last week simply to express love and care for them. Father, I thank you for uh, Allison, uh, Kelly, and, and, and Avery 
Father, I thank you so much for them standing in the gap, God, and, and delivering your word so faithfully to our youth, Father God. And God, I thank you for Abby and, and the, her Bible study that she's about to embark with the, the young ladies in the church, God. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, um, be faithful with your word and that it would, it would not return void, Father. God, I'm so grateful for these three to stand in the gap for you, Father, to lift you up before our youth, God. So I pray your blessings upon them, and God, that you would continue to show yourself strong through them. Yes, Lord, I, <clears throat> I just want to pray for um, just our um, young brothers and sisters in the church, Lord, and thinking about um, Lord, the kids in our church, Lord, would they... Would they know you, uh, Lord Jesus, in a deep way? Father, I'm so encouraged by, um, Lord, the high school students, Lord, who really genuinely want to know who you are um, and how to follow you. Lord Jesus, uh, I'm so thankful uh, for them and for, uh, Lord, even our college students, Lord, who uh, come and want to worship um, and want to know you. So, Father, I'm, I'm very thankful uh, for high school um, students uh, and for our college students as well. Uh, lastly, Lord, I, I want to thank you for um, Joel Ledbetter, Father, uh, just a man of uh, godliness, uh, character, uh, who loves his family um, so faithfully. Um, Father, um, it has been a hard year, um, and he is, uh, he's been steadfast. So, Father, I want to thank you for him. pray in Jesus' name. Father, I want to thank you uh, this morning for, uh, for the, uh, the love that uh, Lindsey Williamson shows for the community around us here in Carrollton. The vision from a few years ago of uh, radical hospitality, Father, that is uh, now coming to uh, a th the threshold of actually being able to host families and, and her vision, her love uh, for these people. Father, we thank you that uh, as John, 1 John 3 says, not to just love in word and, and speech, but in action and in truth. Father, how she uh, exemplifies that. We just ask you to bless her, uh, especially during this time of a personal trial, Father, that you embrace her and encourage her, Father, but we do give you thanks for her today. God, thank you for folks like Tori Amoroso, who not only teaches her class so faithfully at the school, but then goes and finds kids who will be in her class next year, simply so she can get to know them and be more welcoming to them. God, thank you for folks like James Stevens, who gets here early, and Lord, the only time we know James is when something goes wrong with our sound, and Hey, Lord, he, he, he labors so faithfully and so um, with such energy and such um, a sweet spirit. So grateful for him, for his love to our church. I, I think of those who are, who are loving in hard places, um, anonymous marriages that are on the rocks. Lord, but they are displaying faith in the Lord and a commitment to love, even when love is hard, when they are clinging and fighting, so often with each other, but they're clinging to Jesus in the midst of it. Lord, I thank you for uh, Ryan Ayers. I thank you for his humility, the way that he has been transformed uh, 
by the gospel in his life over the years as it has continued to grow and bear fruit. I thank you for his outreach to so many people, especially uh, people who are hurting. Thank you for that outreach uh, in his work as a teacher, uh, in his work as um, a foster parent, in his work of loving people in the congregation and quietly uh, serving, um, meeting needs. And I, I thank you for Andy as well and her uh, deep love uh, for prayer, her um, continued prayer for the the people of this congregation and, and the leaders. I thank you for um, her efforts uh, to serve alongside uh, Ryan in the way that you have, have used them to serve in some very uh, difficult uh, situations as foster parents. Father, <clears throat> I want to thank you for my friend Ben Brown, young guy here at church, very quiet, flies under the radar, and yet uh, I want to just praise you for the faith that you've given him to become vulnerable with a group of men in our discipleship group, uh, to share his heart. God, thank you for his fight against sin and walking by faith uh, with a group of men. Thank you, God, for the ways that he has been ministering to his alcoholic neighbor and some of the guys that he works with. Those are hard people to love, and yet you've given him faith to step out into places where he's uncomfortable. Thank you for his uh, willingness to jump on uh, the, the youth team and to serve as a volunteer in the way that he's loving his kids. I'm grateful for the faith that you've given Ben. Father, thank you for your, your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for Pastor Andrew and his willingness to bring the word. And his willingness to get up early and pray and encourage others to get up early and pray, Lord. Lord, thank you for Joel Groves for his willingness to invest in me and disciple me. Lord, thank you for my family. Thank you for me and Anna, Leah, and Asher, and Andy, and Lord, thank you for their faith. In Jesus' name. It's a good place for us to stop. Joel, come with us and pray.